I'm Angie Powers. And I'm Elizabeth Stark. And this is Storymakers Show. It was a thrill to sit down with Anne Packer, whose first novel, The Dive from Clouston's Pier, I fell in love with years ago, and get to talk to her about her freewheeling writing habits and hardline revision strategies and much more. Anne Packer was born in Stanford, California in 1959 and grew up near Stanford University, where her parents were professors. She attended Yale University and the Iowa Writers' Workshop and has received fellowships from Wisconsin Institute for Creative Writing, the Michener Copernicus Society, and the National Endowment for the Arts. She is the acclaimed author of two collections of short fiction, Swim Back to Me and Mendocino and Other Stories, and three best-selling novels, The Children's Crusade, Songs Without Words, and The Dive from Clausen's Pier, which received the Kate Chopin Literary Award along with many other prizes and honors. Her short fiction has appeared in the New Yorker and the O. Henry Prize Stories anthologies, and her novels have been published around the world. We have a Dynamite Writers Weekend coming up in the book writing world, available in person here in Sebastopol or online via video conference. Check it out at bookwritingworld.com forward slash classes. And Angie will be teaching a story development class in the fall as a run-up to NaNoWriMo. So head into November with a clear map for a compelling story that too can be investigated at bookwritingworld.com forward slash classes. And that link will be in the show notes. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much for meeting with us. My pleasure. We usually start talking, we just all share what we are working on now. Mm -hmm. And um, so we'll start with us and go to you and that will launch us into our conversation. So Angie, what are you working on this week? Um, This week I am wrapping up my screenplay, hopefully, to a place I'm shooting it, inshallah, in September. And so I, um, I need to get it to where it could actually be shootable. So I've done many, 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 many revisions. I'm hoping that I'm now in shoot, uh, you know, kind of distance to get it wrapped up. So that's what I'm working on. That's exciting. Do you have funding to actually make a movie? I'm doing a super micro budget. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah, self-funded. <laughs> I actually was talking to a producer at the San Francisco Writers Conference, and she was like, are you talking under 200000 And I And I didn't even want to tell her. Like, we're talking under <laughs> 20000 <Yeah. laughs> But yeah. it's going to be exciting. <laughs> you know, it's going to be amazing. So. <laughs> well, actually, anyway, we actually have a, you know, a cinematographer who's, like, in, in cahoots with Angie on it, and they're going to do all of this sort of... 360 lighting and things that kind of reduce the time it takes to film and mm. to filming it at a friend's house and stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I um, have just finished re, re, re reading my draft. So my writing group commented on, you know, gave me notes. I printed it out. I've been reading it as an editor. And now <clears throat> today I have to launch back in. I mean, I did this morning, but launch back in as a writer, actually making the changes that they and I suggested to me. And this is a novel? <laughs> yeah, this is a novel. So um, so I'm sort of changing hats to do that. Yeah. And how about you, Anne? What are you working on? I'm working on a new novel. Um, I've been working on it for probably a little under a year. Um, and I have written a couple hundred pages, and... Um, that's about all I can say about it at this point. It's still really new, and I'm not 
I'm not describing it in public. Right, yet. right, absolutely. Do you how do you work daily? Do you have a quota, or what's do you, you know what's your habit? Or I'm I'm very permissive with myself as a writer. <laughs> Good I do for you. <laughs> so so what does that look like? Say you know you wake well, up and it's well some days uh, I wake up, have breakfast, sit at the computer, and work for several hours. And some days I don't. <laughs> it's rare that I start working in the afternoon, I can tell you that. If I don't, like, hit it in the morning, I'm probably not going to do it. Um, but I've, I've had a kind of um, complex year, just logistically and geographically. I've moved a number of times, and I've done a ton of travel. So um, I am especially not in a routine right now, but I'm hoping to get into one soon. Do you find it hard to dive back in when you have, you know, time gaps. off gaps? Um, yeah, for like 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, I find it harder to leave the diving board than to actually enter the water. Um, but once, once I'm in the water, it's pretty much okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great metaphor. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it reminds me of the dive from Klausen's Pier, <laughs> with which, yeah, it could be that the metaphor gone awry. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, so you know, one of the things I was thinking, you know, not only is there my my fandom maybe in the way of my delving into craft, but I actually think it's the strength of your writing that I just feel um, in all of your books really connected to. The character and the the craft is is both so strong and so subtle that I'm not necessarily struck by it so much as I'm just kind of in the moment to moment of the world. And I know you do a lot of revision. Can, can you talk about um, kind of how you get to that that level of subtlety? How you how, how you... much work does it take it to make it look effortless? <laughs> Well, I don't know if I can answer the question because um, I am just rewriting until I'm happy with it. But I don't know what it's like before I'm happy with it. I don't. I don't have anyone saying, "Oh, yeah, I can see how this is a lot better than that." I'm the only one who sees it until I'm happy with it. Wow. Um, and I, you know, then I revise a lot later. So I guess there, I would say. Uh, there are two different kinds of revision for me. Uh, one is, you know, the, the constant going back over material that I've just written or wrote yesterday or wrote last week. I'm constantly rereading and revising. Um, I mean, really, that can't be overstated. But then there's the other kind of revision, which is sort of more um, once I've finished a draft of something and shown it to people and gotten some feedback, then I'm doing a different kind of sort of more global revision that functions on the or occupies me on the, you know, sentence level also. But at that point, I'm thinking more about um, structure and um, sort of the, the movement of the story forward. Um, and how different things are functioning, how, how different characters are functioning. That said, I'm also thinking about those all the time during the first draft also. <laughs> so, When do you start thinking about the structure? Do you, do you have any uh, inkling before you begin? Are you mapping it? Or is that all coming in the exploration of writing? Um, 
I, I definitely have an inkling. I mean, with the first two novels, I I had a sense of shape, I think, before I started. Um, and really, what I might mean by that is, is um, emotional shape mm-hmm. or sort of a feeling of where I want to land emotionally. Um, but not no clear idea about exactly what's going to happen to get there. Um, what sorts of developments I'm going to uh, want to depict to bring my characters to the place that I want to land them at the end. Mm. And was that different with the third novel? It was... um, it was because of the way it's written. Um, you know, it's t- 10 different sections with two very different narrative strategies. One, <clears throat> this omniscient narrator weaving in and out of the consciousnesses of the, an entire family um, through over the course of decades. And then interwoven with that are the, there are four first person um, narratives of the children of that family once they're grown up. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have the structure when I first started writing, which was to write one of the first person, uh, characters, not the entire section, but I I launched by writing in one of the voices in, in first person. I didn't know at that point what the, overall story would be um it's actually very difficult to remember uh, (laughs) what you knew and didn't know at certain moments five years ago Uh I remembered that I had uh what for me was a rare sort of light bulb moment realizing that I um or inventing my structure I suddenly went ah and the whole thing fell into place. But that did not happen before I started writing in mm-hmm. that in that case. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because with, with Swim Back to Me, your collection of stories, it begins with a novella and it ends with a short story that's a character from that novella. Um, it's, I mean, it's... it's and, and then you have other stories with, with different unrelated characters, right? And, right. And, um, but it, it all, it's almost... I mean, how, what do you see as the... Are the differences between a short story collection and a novel how closely connected the characters are, a large arc, or or marketing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I've only published two collections of stories, and I would have to confess to expedience as the organizing principle for both of them. (laughs) Uh, With the first collection, I put all the stories I had written so far... um, with one exception, two exceptions, I just collected my stories. You know, I was starting out, I was 30-whatever, and um, and that was how that worked. Mm-hmm. And with Swim Back to Me, the second collection, um, I had some stories that I had written and published, and I had this material for the novella you mentioned, um, and... At some point, either before or after I sold the book, I don't remember which, I, I, I saw that I wanted that material to, um, to be 
to use it for a novella and that I could tie a book together by revisiting one of the characters later in life and putting that at the other end of the book. That was um, so there was a little bit of, you know, uh, I wouldn't really call it marketing, but um, thinking about the bookness of it and wanting it to be a book in addition to six discrete mm-hmm. um, works of fiction. So you went back in and wrote the, the Sasha story at the end be, kind of because you wanted this shape. Right. Although I think I might've written one of the other stories last. Uh-huh. I wrote that very deliberately for the shape of the book. Yeah. Interesting. And, and is that at all similar to this process of, of saying, okay, I'm going to have these omniscient sections alternating with these close point of view stories. I mean, how, how, I guess, how much did you think about the relationship between the, the pieces in the, in the novel compared to the short stories. Oh, constantly in the novel. Yeah. 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 And I, I, um, I needed the omniscient sections, um, to, to help me write the first person sections. Mm -hmm. I did one, I did the first one, the Robert one before I had written much in the omniscient voice. But, um, even though, they are interspersed with the first person sections. I wrote all the other omniscient sections before I wrote the first person sections. Mm. So you kind of had their, their common world clear to you. Yeah. Except for the last one, except for the final one comes back into the omniscient voice that I did after I had written everything else. Mm -hmm. Interesting. (laughs) I feel like you've taken all of my questions. I have. I'm sorry. I have many more questions. No, I know. I was like, oh, Okay. No, no. Oh, okay. Well, hey, let me no, ask no. you this because um, I've I've been thinking about story lately, and um, I took a nonfiction writing class, and people came in and, and they had differing levels of of talent and experience as writers, um, but then set completely separate from that, some of them had incredible material, right? Because and it's nonfiction. It's like some of them had lived through unbelievable events, right? And so those were so gripping, and I thought I kind of left that feeling like a novelist, but feeling, you know, more interested in, in um, getting to create those kinds of stories. And you have, you know, um, I mean, you have this sort of unusual, shocking incident in the dive from Clausen's Pier that, you know, there's no spoilers in it, right? I mean, at the very first, uh-huh. it's, not, it's not even the chat, it's like the, epilogue, the prologue or something. Anyway, he, he, he dives off and, and breaks his neck and... <clears throat> um, so that's kind of one of those dramatic moments that doesn't happen in every life. Um, and then, where, say, with Children's Crusade, um, it's, it's, I mean, not all of those circumstances obviously happen in, to every family, but, the, but there isn't a kind of a shocking story. It's more the strength of the writing and the characters. Um, how do you think about story? Like, how do you think this is what this is going to be about or what, what needs to be there for it to be a story? I, I think about it very gradually. Um, and especially when I'm working on a first draft, uh, I don't necessarily know what, what's compelling me thematically. Hmm. Um, and I'm pretty, I'm working pretty freely, um, just 
going where my whims take me without thinking too analytically about what I'm doing. So that the meaning, the story of a, of a book, a novel, um, or a short story, um, kind of becomes clearer once I've finished a first draft. I mean, I'm very, very interested in structure. I'm very interested in, in story and how, you know, what it is that has happened um, at the beginning that leads to the ending. Um, and I, I would make a distinction between that and the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the story is more the evolution of, um, of meaning over time. It's, it's the, what happened, <laughs> what happened to these people? You know, you could say what happened to them was they went to Paris or you could say what happened to them was that they went to Paris and fell in love. Mm-hmm. And to me, the second, the second is always the story. So I'm interested in um, depicting change over time in people. Um, and again, the, the certainly when I start something, I don't have a clue <laughs> what, that, what that story is going to be. Um, when I started the die from Fawson's Pier, I knew that the protagonist, Carrie, was going to leave her um, paralyzed fiancé. And spoiler alert, this book was published 14 years ago. I'm not too worried about um, uh, spoiling it for anybody, <laughs> um, which is not to say I believe everyone's already read it. But And know, it's worth reading it's even if you know a few things about it. <laughs> It's fair game. It's fair game. Fourteen years later, for me to talk about ending. I knew she was going to end up back in Madison, Wisconsin, where the paralyzed fiance was living, um, and I knew she was going to have an affair with someone else. Um, but I didn't really know exactly what it was going to all mean and how it was going to feel, um, and that evolved over drafts. Well, it's also interesting, though, because you are picking, when you say you know these certain things are going to happen, there is definitely a tension dynamic, right? You know, there are assumptions we might have about a person who, you know, if you're just like, I'm going to write about a person who leaves their uh, paralyzed fiancé, right? That automatically gives us a set of assumptions. But it's also an intense dynamic. And so it seems like even though you're maybe not doing a bunch of, like, planning you are picking things that are creating dynamics that lead to a certain kind of emotional revelation a certain kind of a emotional dynamics i guess well yeah um you know that there there's that saying if there isn't a problem there isn't a story mm-hmm. and i think that that's what you're talking about you're talking when you talk about dynamics you're talking about conflict um and that's what's interesting uh, in life <laughs> and that's that's what life is you know uh, I won't say that's what it's all about because I would not it's want, hokey pokey. <laughs> I would not want to make such a claim but um, what's interesting to me is people and how they deal with, with conflicts mm-hmm. yeah. and conflict singular <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now 
especially in in the um, the Children's Crusade, it seems it seems like there's a suggest. Well, there's that the wonderful line about people not getting over having started life as children. I'm, I'm probably mangling that, but um, so so there's a, there's a sense that some of our problems and and you know what we what we have to grapple with on our arc is is, is sort of planted within us from those early <laughs> struggles and kind of bubbles up. Um, I guess I have, I have, this is sort of a strange question, but I mean, do you, do you feel like that, um, because you're sort of letting, you're kind of starting with a problem and, and letting yourself right into it, that, that certain things bubble up kind of from your unconscious about story, you know, because I don't know. <laughs> what are you asking? Like, well, I mean, there are certain themes that recur in your work, right? And especially kind of women leaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seems, Right. I mean, yes. <laughs> uh, in the stories too, in the you know. Um, so is that wish fulfillment, or is that? Um... <laughs> what, so what do you make of the the kind of re- reoccurrence of a theme? Earlier, you you used the phrase "bubbling up from my unconscious," and I almost interrupted you to say, "Where else is it going to bubble up from?" <laughs> so I would say, yeah, you know, um, what. For whatever whatever fuels our obsessions, whether it's uh, actual events or wish fulfillments, wishes, um, fears for how it could have been worse, um, yearnings to have been somewhere else. Um, that's what that that's always the engine. I don't care if you're you know writing, um, you know some fantasy set in 13th century, wherever, um, your material is your material. Your themes are your themes. Um, and when people say, Oh, I don't want to just write about myself. That's not that interesting. I, I always kind of chuckle at the prospect of, um, the idea that you can avoid it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, I guess one of the things that I was sort of curious about in this, this covers the theme piece, but there's a specificity um, in the kinds of uh, choices you make about characters and, and their uh, leaving or staying situation. Um, and so I was just actually going to ask, is there sort of a process that you go through when you think about what are the specifics of this family? What is the specifics of this particular character? Um, you know, do you think ahead that this activity will really highlight the, who this character is? Or is it a kind of thing where, you know, when you dig into character, is it all intuitive? Is there some outside structure that you bring into that process? It's all intuitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I work completely intuitively. Um, I mean, I might get a note on a, on a first draft um, that would say, you know, I'm very interested in this aspect of her character. I wish we could see more of that. Um, and I might agree. But then I don't sort of sit there thinking, what would illustrate that? Um, I just get back into the work and into the typing. And that's where, I mean, I... I have a repetitive strain injury and I've had trouble with, um, with keyboard use. 
And, you know, on occasion someone said, why don't you just dictate? Um, my work, my, my work comes out of my fingers. It really does. There's a connection from brain to fingertips that, uh, is, um, essential. Is there anything else you do to support your intuition and to support trusting your intuition? No. <laughs> I mean, at some point you were a beginning writer who had to get published. And so, um, I think at this point you're following your intuition has paid off. You've <laughs> gotten feedback that this process works, but definitely, you know, I think a lot of newer writers struggle with how to balance trusting themselves with that outside critique. It's a tough, it's, it's a tough, uh, part of work, working creatively. Um, and it really raises the question of why you're doing it. Um, I certainly was not always as confident as I am, but I was pretty confident. I was never trying to figure out what to write so that I could get published. Um, if you're doing that, then it's, it's very tough to trust your impulses because you have the idea that there's um, an answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're working because you really want to work and make this thing, then of course you're going to trust your intuition because it's all about your your um, your own vision uh, of a story or whatever art form you're working in, uh, and then it either it either gets disseminated or it doesn't <laughs> have you ever run into a situation with an editor where you had to stand up for something or push against a direction oh yeah yeah uh my second novel songs without words um is about in in uh in part a friendship between two women um and one of them is is has been the strong one and the other one has been the dependent one and the, that second character was you know kind of a pain in the ass <laughs> and uh, I had an editor who really objected to that and wanted her to be more likable mm -hmm. and I mean to me the whole point of the book was that she wasn't <laughs> so I was ne I, I would never you know change a character um, because it might make the book more appealing mm -hmm. I'm I'm working for myself. I'm trying to, you know, put my imagination into story form. And I have no control over anything else, but I do have control over that. So when you get feedback from readers, what what tells you this is something I want to pay attention to or what when you go back in, how do you use that those comments? It's about how it resonates to me. Um, the most useful advice is always the thing you've been trying to not know. Um, and there's always, there's always going to be some of that. Um, and then sometimes, you know, somebody will mention something and it'll be more like, ah, I hadn't, hadn't, that was not on my radar at all. But that's really interesting. Um, and then there's other stuff that, you know, isn't interesting or useful, and I just ignore that. 
And I suppose that you have trusted readers at this point who are people who support you and get you and get your process. And Absolutely. Yeah, I'm in a wonderful writer's group, so I'm very, very lucky. And, so, and your mother was a writer. She, yes, she still is. She is a writer. <laughs> and how, did, how does that uh, impact you? Um, well, I grew up, you know, thinking about literature as both um, something far away and great and something that people, you know, in my everyday life were trying to, um, to participate in. Um, and I, I didn't actually want to be a writer when I was a little kid because of that. It just looked very miserable. <laughs> I think it was very miserable. I think there's um, a lot about it. A lot about it in retrospect was about publishing, um, mm-hmm. and and certainly publishing is uh, a huge part of the process for writers and a huge, um, often a huge problem. (laughs) Um, but again, as I was saying before, you know, the, um, the work itself is, is really my focus. Now it's easy for me to say this because I've been very lucky with publishing and I don't know what kind of writer I would be, um, what my relationship to all of that would be had I, you know, not been able to publish my work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to suggest that, uh, that luck hasn't been a huge part of it and that I've really benefited from some things that were outside my control, but helped me a lot. And then just being published helps you get published again. So that's a big part of it. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people, you know, there is this focus on publishing on publishing. I think some people are like uh, under the illusion that that might somehow lead to money. And then, (laughs) but beyond that, you know, it is difficult to find because you're communicating. And I think, you know, publishing represents a vetting or an acceptance of sorts. You know, obviously, I mean, even the phrase, we accept this submission and, you know, that whole thing is you know, little SM on its own. And, um, and so it's, it, it is interesting to think because I really resonate with, you know, I just went through this process with my screenplay where I was trying to get it right, trying to get it right by these circumstances, you know, constraints that weren't my own. Yeah. And, you know, I got really depressed and really, uh, the joy had gone out of it. And so I got to a place where I said, you know what, I'm just going to start following the things that excite me about it. The reward itself is the work, and that's where we would all like to go. Um, but we, we do all want that approval. And, and in writing, a lot of times that approval looks like publishing. Right. And here I'll just quote myself and <laughs> <laughs> say, uh, we never really get over having started out as children. Yes, yeah. <laughs> We make the the publishing industry into authorities. Yes. Yeah. 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 What's the What's the best writing or teaching advice? Uh, you know, best writing advice or teaching that you that you've been given. Revise. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I got that uh, early on from Jane Smiley when I was in graduate school. Mm. She she organized a she organized her workshop around the revision process and made us rewrite two stories four times each. Wow, that's amazing. It was fantastic. It was transformative. Really helped me. Yeah. That was the thing I missed from my grad school program, I have to say. We fought to get a revision class and mm. nobody was like really ready to help with that. So. Uh-huh. It, I think it, people don't know how to teach it, maybe, or they don't know. It's so much, it's so much, you know, you, you talked about the typing. It's like, it's like the going back in and, and reading and fiddling and, you know, the carpentry. So I heard someone call it the carpentry. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, are we there already? Yeah. Jeez. Okay. We are at that portion of our podcast where we... Use T.S. Eliot's uh, Amateur Poets Borrow, Professional Poets Steal, which is otherwise known as Steal This. Um, okay, so what is something that you've come across in the past week or so, or more, that you would like to bring into your own process, work, what have you? And Elizabeth can model if you don't know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I don't, this, this is a little bit of a spoiler, too, with, <clears throat> with Swim Back to Me. But one of the things I really found remarkable was that, um, that in a way, the final revelation for the, the last story about, about Sasha was, um, was, in a way, the, a reader's revelation. You know, I don't know. I think I can say it. I don't think I think it will only encourage people. Um, <laughs> She's like, I'm cool. I'm done with it. <laughs> but um, you know, the, the, so the novella is narrated um, by um, Richard, who's a friend of who who you know, and he and Sasha become friends, and they have this year together when they're thirteen, fourteen, um, and then she moves away, and he's narrating from. Uh, dist from middle age and and as he calls it and <laughs> we don't call it that um, no. <laughs> what we call that young He's exactly <laughs> I'm still in late youth yes exactly. <laughs> late late youth um and and so his his portion is you know is narrated so we get a sense of him in middle age really remembering this this very important formative year and then we see her at 50 ish um in this moment, in this story, and we learn a lot about what her life has been like since that time. And then at the end, um, one of her parents mentions the boy you were friends with, and her, I think her mother, and, and she says, what boy? And she doesn't remember him at all. And I thought, I mean, to me, that was kind of this this revelation that wasn't her. She didn't, I mean, it could change her later, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't like she then got filled in. It, it wasn't a turning point for her in that moment, but but for me, it felt like the thing that sent me back to think through the whole thing. Um, so that, so in terms of steal this, I, I'm I'm interested in readers' revelations versus character revelation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. So. <laughs> well, I think that's an interesting uh, distinction to make, and um, you know, it could it could lead to a sort of reassessment of you know, favorite books and, you know, looking at what happens to whom, when, <laughs> reader, character, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm going to choose the annoying answer to your question. 
<laughs> which is there's nothing I want to steal um, because whatever I put into my work is mine mm -hmm. because it's coming out of me and every, everything that inspires me um, or makes me envious or um, frustrates me or delights me um, comes, comes into my mind at some point and, you know, joins all the rest of my remembered or not remembered experience to fuel my work. And I wouldn't want to call one process stealing um, and another noticing. So that's my non-answer. <laughs> that's great. Will you tell us some books you love? Oh, sure. Um, you know, uh, I always want to mention Alice Munro um, first and second and third. Um, I can never, when I'm asked that question, I can never come up with a satisfactory answer. And then afterward, I'm always kicking myself. So I'll just stop there. Okay. <laughs> I totally get that. And how about you? I think that I have been, so I have a fear of flying. Mm, me too. <laughs> And I have been going to this fear of flying class, which... Oh, my God. At SFO? Yes. I totally did that. I did that. Did it help? So much. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good answer. Good answer, because <laughs> I have my second weekend coming up this next weekend. Um, but I just appreciated talking to the people, and they're like, so if it's a critical thing, we have three to five backups on the plane. So, you know, and it was just like, oh, all of these, like... Plan B's, plan B's, plan B's, plan B's. And it never occurs to me, because I'm a little disorganized in my life, that you could have a plan B. Like, everything's plan A, right? And um, and so I think, like, for myself, I often find that I'm attracted first to the things that are sort of engaging in a particular way, like our school needs this done, or kids need that. But I would like to kind of figure out, okay, a plan B, because I am often going months at a go without getting back to my writing because I have so many other important things to get to. So I think I, I'm going to steal the plan B, which Ooh. is like, you know, these are the times I'm going to set out. But if, if I don't get those, how am I going to come back to my writing? So that's what I'm going to steal this week. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm so glad the class helped you. As, as soon as I asked the question, I thought, what if she says no? It's terrible. I haven't been on an airplane since. No. <laughs> um, can you fly? Is it just to get less unhappy about it or is it actually hard for you to get on a plane i have been at various states we flew to san diego um last year mm -hmm. but we are planning to go to europe and the idea of being on an airplane for n almost 10 hours was like oh okay way too much so the agreement was i got to go to this class if we were going to go to europe because her family's in the uk oh so um, and we have we have an eight and a nine-year-old who have never left the country <laughs> <laughs> and I just grew up traveling all over the place, so it's so yeah. strange to me. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, good luck with, with the flying thing. I, it really helped me a lot. The, the piece of information, I love the maintenance visit. Yes. Where you, yeah, that was awesome. I wonder if you met any of the same people I met. Anyway, the piece of information that I find myself going to when I'm on a plane, or two pieces of information. One, 
Turbulence is just being on a choppy lake. Yeah. And two, at any given moment, there are 14,000 planes in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Those two things really helped me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, like, we checked it. So there's something like 1,400 flights coming into SFO every day. You know, it's just SFO. And I looked at it, and I think that there, at this point, you know, if you do the math, there's almost a million people in the air every yeah. day. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I, I'm not winning the lottery and I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> I'm not, so I'm not going to say it cause I'm also Catholic and superstitious. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but yes, well, yay. I'm glad that it, it improved things. Yeah. yeah. So good luck. Thank good you. Luck. Have a wonderful trip. Yes, and Anne, you. how can people find you? Readers find their way to you. Find their way to me. Well, there's my books. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's what it's you... annpacker.com. You have a website that they can go to and get more information website. about you. Um, absolutely. I have a website. They can follow me on Facebook or Twitter. Okay. Um, but I don't post much. <laughs> I would say, you know, honestly, I think you're asking how can they get in touch with me personally. Well, I, no. mostly people like to sort of say... Come to my thing, sign my mailing list. You know, it's more—it's right. more like an opportunity that we give people to to oh, marketing that stuff. Well, absolutely, I have a mailing list. Yeah. Um, but I, I really just my most important and sincere invitation is is I've written these books and I'd love to have you read them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending the time with us. I really appreciate it. Sure. It was fun. It was great meeting you guys. Nice to meet you too. Bye.